VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This episode of the Bear Stock Underground is brought to you by Sports Drink. Your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and to hate your favorite team. A rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or in social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in Sports Drink. Spelled like Sports Drink, but without the vowels. So S P R T S D R N K. All we ask is that you close the door behind you. We're trying not to let out the funk. <laughs> What's up, guys? Back to do the preview of the big game uh, tomorrow on Sunday. Um, Super Bowl 56. Man, that makes me feel old because uh, the first Super Bowl that I remember, and I was alive before this, but the first one that I remember watching is Super Bowl 18 was the Redskins and yes, they were the Redskins then, so I'm going to call them the Redskins and the L.A. Raiders, who have moved two times since then, at least. I think they went to, from, yeah, from yeah L.A. to Oakland and then now to um, Las Vegas. So, yeah, but the, that game, that's the first one that I remember. I remember watching that with my dad and my uncle, um, Super Bowl eighteen. That's how far I go back, and I go back even further than that. My f- first Super Bowl of my lifetime would be th- 13, I believe, 14, Super Bowl 14, Rams and, uh, ironically, Rams and Steelers back in Pasadena in the Rose Bowl. So Steelers won that one. But, um, you know, previewing this one, the Rams and the Bengals, uh, technical difficulties stole our opportunity to hear from Kyle Phelps uh, from Battle of Ohio, we had him on earlier in the series in the season uh, to preview Week Two when the Bears and the Bengals clashed, and luckily our Bears came out ahead uh, on that one. You know, our Week One and Week Two opponents made it to the big game. How crazy is that? But uh, you know, the long winding road that is the NFL season ends at SoFi Stadium tomorrow night uh, in so in, in Soldier Field <laughs> in uh, in Super Bowl Fifty Six. Uh, the Rams and the uh, Bengals, and quite a quite a crazy road that both of these teams took, especially in the postseason, to get where they are. With the Bengals finally getting over the playoff hump, seven trips into the, the postseason with um, with uh, with Marvin Lewis, and came away zero and seven. Even when they were like you know the three seed and they're favored, they would somehow manage to find a way to lose each and every one of those games. And the, the long winding road it took him to get back to the postseason uh, in year three under Zach Taylor, only year two with Joe Burrow. And uh, then on the Rams side, Sean McVay and the Rams and their disappointment from falling short in Super Bowl 18, um, uh, Super Bowl 18 in 2018, in Super Bowl 53 uh, against the Patriots. And, you know, they, they missed the playoffs in 2019, uh, got boosted in the divisional round last year uh, by the Packers, and they find their way back. And, you know, basically having this super team that they have acquired uh, where basically everyone that, uh, you know, was worth having seemed to find their way into a Rams uniform uh, this year. 
and and credit to McVay and his coaching staff and Les Snead uh, and his scouting department, um, bringing the, you know not just bringing in the names but bringing in the right guys to help uh, you know get this football team where they want it to go. And now they're just four quarters away from realizing um, the full potential uh, of the team and winning uh, their. Uh, would it be their? First? It would be their second. The first was Super Bowl thirty four when they beat the Titans. But um, anyway, we got news and notes. I'm going to do a special segment on my favorite Super Bowls that were in my uh, lifetime, as you heard me mention uh, before. And then we'll talk keys to the game about what the teams need to do uh, in order to win this thing. So let's go ahead and get rolling. This is the Super Bowl 56 preview episode of the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it. Tomorrow night. SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles or in Glendale, California. Super Bowl 56 will take place between the NFC champion Los Angeles Rams and the AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals. And, um, you know, if, if we even get a halfway decent game, it would probably cap off the best postseason that I can remember uh, in, 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 in most recent, uh, you know, memory. I mean, it, it's, it's been outstanding. You know, you had a couple of good games in the wild card round, you had the Cowboys and the Niners. You had the the Bengals and the Raiders were the best game on the AFC side. The other four games were blowouts, just like these teams have no business in the playoffs type blowouts. Um, but then you got to the divisional round. All four games were insane. All four of them, just back and forth uh, battles, you know, playoff worthy teams uh, and all that kind of stuff. And then the the championship rounds. Uh, as well with the the Rams and Niners coming down to the wire, the Bengals and the Chiefs going to overtime uh, and everything. It's been an outstanding, outstanding postseason. So you hope that this game can even closely line up with what those other, with what the last six games have been. Never mind the wild card round. They've got a lot to lift up to just to the conference championship games, let alone the madness that took place in the divisional round. So, I mean, it's just been an outstanding, outstanding postseason. If you were on the fence about being a football fan, you know, if you get a chance to watch these games and you're still not on board, you need to have a motor checked. Because seriously, this has been one of the best postseasons I've ever seen. So, um, we got a crazy matchup between these two teams. Uh, Very good offenses between them. Uh, Weapons galore on both sides. Um, you know, from Stafford being the new quarterback there, he's got Cooper cup, he's got OBJ, uh, you know, and, and, uh, you know, the backs coming in acres and such Henderson coming out of the backfield. And then on the other side, you got Joe Mixon, you have Jamar chase, you have T Higgins, uh, Tyler Boyd, and, you know, of course, uh, Joe Burrow throwing the football, uh, to them all. And, uh, it, it's, it's, Hopefully, will not be another thirteen to three snooze fest like it was the last time uh, the Rams managed to make it to the uh, Super Bowl. I doubt that it will be. Uh, I think we're going to see some points uh, scored uh, in this one. So um, the Rams have the better defense, so that kind of gives the the overall nod to them. But um, as is uh, you know, we didn't get a chance to hear uh, Tyler say it because the the file uh, for the interview was unusable, but. Uh, he said, don't count against, uh, don't bet against Joe Burrow. And um, I, you know, after watching the postseason, I'm on board with that. So, you know, I would not rule out this thing being a shootout or Joe Burrow willing the Bengals into uh, 
you know, into competition uh, with the with the Rams and making this game uh, worth uh, remembering uh, going forward. Uh, the 49ers, or excuse me, the, the Bengals, the last time they were in the Super Bowl, uh, we'll talk about that in my favorite Super Bowls, actually, uh, in, the, in the next segment here in just a moment. You know, it was one of the, one of the better Super Bowls uh, in history and one of the more memorable finishes uh, as well. But before we get to the favorite Super Bowls and our keys to the game, we got news and notes, and most of this is, well, it's actually all Bears-related. But um, Matt Eberflus uh, and, uh, finally finalized his coaching staff for the 2022 uh, season. And, and, and I mentioned in the um, NFC preview for the Rams uh, yesterday that, um, you know, I think, oh, like, like three or four new guys added. It's like, no, there's like 12 now. Um, I think I did the count yesterday. There are 22, 23 people on this coaching staff, and that's the NFL for you. Um, they went from they, – they basically started adding just all the assistants and, and all the assistants' assistants and things like that, and our finalized coaching staff is as such. Obviously, Matt Eberflus is our new head coach, and it just listed as coaching assistant Kevin Koch. I think that's how you pronounce it, K-O-C-H. It's Koch or Koch, one of the two. Offensive coordinator Luke Getze. Passing game coordinator, wide receivers coach Tyke Tolbert. Our new tight ends coach, Jim Dre. That's one of the new ones that was added. Andrew, uh, I, I want to say Janico or Janako as our quarterbacks coach. Offensive line, Chris Morgan. Our running back coach that was added, David Walker. And here's the other, the, the other new guys. Offensive uh, assistant Offensive line coach, Austin King. Assistant tight end, Tim Zetz. Quality control, Omar Young. And then on the defensive side, defensive coordinator, Alan Williams. Linebacker coach, Dave Borgonzi. Safeties coach, Andre Curtis. Defensive back coach, James Rowe. Defensive line coach, Travis Smith. Assistant defensive line, Justin Hins. Excuse me. And assistant defensive back coach, David Overstreet. The second and defensive quality control, Ronnell Williams, special teams coordinator Richard Hightower, and his assistant Carlos Polk, and then our strength and conditioning coaches uh, Jason Los, Los Calzo, I believe, and then his assistants Casey Kramer and Anthony Hibbert. Um, the only people that stayed, the only people that are holdovers from Nagy staff, our defensive quality control coach Ronnell Williams, and the and the strength and conditioning guys. Everybody else is brand new. So out of the 22, 23 names that uh, I just read off to you, all but three, or four, excuse me, the strength and conditioning and Ronnell Williams. So 19 of the 23 are brand new to the organization. So we wiped the board clean, essentially, because a defensive quality control coach, you know, small potatoes compared to a defensive coordinator, an offensive coordinator, uh, and so on. Speaking of defensive coordinators, uh, Sean Desai has found a new home uh, in the NFL. He interviewed in, at, at three places that I know of, and I, I and I think that he actually interviewed in a few more. Uh, he interviewed with the Giants, he interviewed with the Raiders, and interviewed with his new home, Seattle. He is going to the Seahawks. Uh, his job title is is associate head coach. Defense is his job title uh, in Seattle. He'll be joining um, Pete Carroll and his staff uh, out there. So uh, I don't know if, I mean, I'm assuming he's the defensive coordinator when you name somebody associate head coach. It's quite a promotion uh, for Sean Desai. And what a rise that this guy uh, has been on with, with what, eight, nine seasons 
uh, with the Bears starting off. I believe he was a quality control coach uh, before or like a coaching assistant or, you know, an intern or whatever, working his way up to defensive coordinator, having a pretty, a fairly successful season in his first year and uh, definitely making enough noise that he was interviewing all over the place. Uh, he was, you know, on, inter- being interviewed to join McDaniels in, in Las Vegas and again with Dable and in, in, with the Giants, but ends up in Seattle uh, with the Seahawks and Pete Carroll. So he has found uh, his new home. Um, in sad news, guys, uh, I learned this while I was talking to um, uh, Jake Ellenbogen doing the Rams interview. We were talking during the NFL Honors uh, ceremony and uh, came across my phone. I decided not to address it at the time. Um Devin Hester didn't make the cut uh, for the Hall of Fame this time around. Uh, That's extremely disappointing to hear. And my great fear of him not getting in this first time is that with, and and I'm not even sure who's eligible to come up uh, next year and in the years beyond. But when you, when you hear the names that made it, it's in the Hall of Fame in front of him. It, it does really worry me that he might have a very difficult time getting in going forward. I, I just really kind of, and I think I expressed this uh, when it was first announced that he was going to be a finalist, was that I feel like if he didn't get in on this first round, that he was going to have a long wait to, to get in. Like the other people coming up would be deemed more worthy than him, him being just a special teams player, despite the fact he was one of the most impactful players in the history of the league. I mean, he was absolutely, he me terrified teams that had to play against him. And, and I read a quote of his saying, imagine what my stats would have been had people not stopped kicking to him. If they would have kept kicking the ball to Devin Hester, what kind of records would this guy have set? How many, I mean, would it, the 20 returns, which is an NFL record, how would that be in the 30s probably if they kept kicking the ball to him when he was in his prime? You know, 2006, 2007, those two first amazing years of his career, it was three years before he returned another kick in 2010. He had a much better, but it was 2008, 2009, didn't score any touchdowns, but those were the years that people, you know, smartened up and started kicking away from him. And then in 2010, it's like, oh, well, you know, Hester is, you know, hasn't done really, doesn't much and blah, blah, blah. So they started kicking to him again. He had like another five returns or something like that in 2010, went back to another Pro Bowl and uh, and all that kind of stuff. Not to mention how dangerous a weapon he was uh, as a receiver uh, at times. So um, I worry that, it, that you know, with the, with the other classes coming up behind him, he might have difficulty getting in, even though, he is definitely a Hall of Fame worthy player. And that's not even speaking from a Chicago Bears fan bias. That's just overall. I mean, it's just ridiculous that he didn't get in this time, especially with with the names that did get in, like Bryant Young. Bryant Young is a Hall of Famer? I don't think so. I really don't. I mean, Richard Seymour, sure. Tony Baselli, absolutely. I was a huge Tony Baselli fan um, when when he was a player. Because I played left tackle in, in in high school, and Baselli was a stud. I I loved that guy, and um, you know Laura Butler. Okay, sure, absolutely. Dick Vermeil. Okay, I don't think Dick Vermeil's a Hall of Fame coach, um, but winning the Super Bowl with the Rams, 
that kind of did it, I guess. So I don't know. Maybe it's, you know, he took the, the Eagles to the Super Bowl back in 2015, or excuse me, Super Bowl 15, uh, back in 1980 uh, and everything. They didn't win. They lost to the Raiders that time. Uh, and then he comes back after a long absence and then takes the Rams uh, to the Super Bowl. Had some good years in Kansas City, but never got back to the Super Bowl again after leaving uh, St. Louis. So it just, um, I don't know. I don't know if, if Vermeil would, would, I think he's a great coach. Do I think he's a Hall of Famer? Eh, I don't know. But um, like I said, I don't know who's coming up next year. But uh, like I said, I, I think that uh, if, if Hester didn't get in now, uh, especially with this class, that it, it might be difficult for him uh, going forward uh, to get in. So we'll have to wait and see. Time will only, only time will tell. But uh, he definitely belongs in the Hall of Fame. Bear fans around the world are, are outraged that he didn't uh, make it in. But um, that's just the way it fell this time around. So, And then finally, we've, we've been wondering what's been going on with Tariq Cohen. And he was on a podcast this week. And I'm not sure I love his answer, to be completely honest with you. Uh, I give him all the credit in the world for his candidness and being honest uh, with it. But a, a fan, it was like a kid, you know, 10, 12 years old, however the little guy was, uh, asked him, you know, how he was staying mentally sharp or how he was dealing with his recovery and, uh, and what have you. And Tariq Cohen said that his answer, or like what was going on with him, was that he was afraid that he wouldn't be the same player when he came back and he wasn't going to come back until he was ready to be that player again. Now... So just reading into reading into that, the context that I get from that is that what we thought or were speculating because the Bears didn't say anything about it, and obviously he wasn't being allowed to talk to the press at the time. Um, well, like we were always like there, there had to been a some kind of setback. Uh, maybe he needed another surgery, which of course lengthened his uh, recovery time and and all that kind of stuff. I mean, because he got hurt week three of 2020 and 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 I mentioned a few times there were people that got hurt after him that came back before him it's like how is how is I mean one of the good things of getting hurt at that point in the season is that pretty much by the end of the season you're on the you know strengthening part of the rehab you're 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 past surgery you've recovered from the surgery now it's just a matter of getting your body ready to play the game again. So basically you got a full off season to, you know, you know, for your body to recover, to strengthen up uh, and all that kind of stuff. At that point in the year, I would think the hard part of the rehab was over. Like I'd, I'd think at that point in, in month five, month six, because um, he got hurt in September, so the season ends in early January that at that point you're four months in three and a half to four months and you've had your surgery, uh, everything's healed up and you're, you're good to go that at that point you would start running or, you know, start uh, jogging or, or whatever. And that by the time the, the, the off season program kicks in, uh, and everything you're, 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 you're jogging, you're running, you're making cuts, uh, and things like that. And no, he started on the pup list, and he never came off the pup list this year. Never came off the physically unable to perform list, and there was never a word as to why. We're all left to speculate, and it just turns out he felt he wasn't ready. 
And apparently that was good enough. And it, he, he may have just talked his way out of the organization, guys. We may never see Tariq Cohen in a bear uniform again because the gamble that he took by taking that route, and I completely understand what he's trying to do. I completely understand what he's saying. However, the, the guys that brought him in, the guy that drafted him, and the guy that signed him to the extension that he signed literally the week before he got hurt is no longer in the building. He's gone. So you got a guy that's in the building now looking to rebuild this organization or reshuffle, if you will, because we got some pieces. I don't think rebuilding is more like reloading is, is I think, more where we're, where we're at because we have some talented place, pieces. We all know this, and we know how big a problem the coaching has been that under the right system, who knows how this team can flourish. So, But we're also talking about a guy whose creed is fast and physical. Fast, physical, toughness. And when you basically sit and say you were too afraid to not be the player that you were before, mentally, you understand that. The only way to find out is to get your ass out there and play. And, you know, I, I don't know if that's going to cut it with the new regime. I don't know if Ryan Poles is going to, uh, you know, have kind of mercy on, on Tariq Cohen and uh, bring him back. So, yeah, I mean, especially when, when cutting him could save us millions in salary cap space and in a year where we could use the money. Um, so I don't know. We'll have to see what happens there. Uh, I would love for Tariq Cohen to come back. I hope he can be the back that he was, but you can't just sit there and rehab forever. You had a full year and then some. So it's like everyone always says it usually takes a full year to recover from the surgery to come back and be ready. Well, it was a full year, week three of this year, and you missed the additional 14 weeks after that. Never even started practicing or anything like that. And now we're in the brand new off season, but the guys that brought you in, the guys that loved you, the guys that wanted you to be part of the team going forward and into the future are no longer in the building. Neither the head coach or the general manager, they're gone. So we'll see. Big question mark there on Tariq Cohen and his future in a bear uniform. So anyway, so that will do it for uh, news and notes. And because this is Super Bowl Sunday, and I'm somewhat of an amateur Super Bowl historian, uh, I thought that I would uh, do a quick segment on some of my favorite games that I've seen in, in my lifetime. And what's interesting about that is, like I said, the first Super Bowl that I remember watching was Super Bowl eighteen, The Raiders and the Redskins, L.A. Coliseum back in, um, I think it was, no, I think it was Tampa, actually, was where that game was. Super Bowl 18. And the that was the first game that I saw. The first Super Bowl that I watched was the last time an AFC team won the Super Bowl for 14 seasons. Super Bowl 18, the Raiders won it. And then starting with Super Bowl 19 and the 49ers beating the Dolphins, it wasn't until Super Bowl 32 where the Broncos beat the Packers to win their, win their first Super Bowl. And between Super Bowl 18 and Super Bowl 32, most of those games, most of them, were boring. 
in the way that if you weren't rooting for the the NFC team, you were going to have a miserable afternoon because almost all of those Super Bowls between 19 and 32 were blowouts where every single year it basically just was the AFC champion was basically the sacrificial lamb to whoever the NFC champion was because they would get run off the field, the game would be over by halftime, and it would be just about the commercials in the second half of the, of the game. So, I mean, Super Bowl 19, the, the Niners win 38-16 to over Dan Marino and the Dolphins. One of the more highly anticipated quarterback matchups in Super Bowl history at the time ends up being a dud because the Dolphins didn't really show up offensively, or the defense for the Niners was so good that it didn't matter. Then obviously Super Bowl twenty, I know that we all love that one, Bears and 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 Patriots, and uh, you know Bears forty six to ten smashing the Patriots to bits and uh, and whatnot. So, but rather than running down the 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 lot of them, I'll talk about my favorite games. And and the reason that I mentioned the blowouts and such was that the first really great Super Bowl that I watched was in fact Super Bowl twenty three with the Bengals and the Forty ers and this was a bittersweet game because the 49ers beat the Bears in the NFC Championship game to go to Super Bowl 23. The Bears had home field advantage and everything. It was a frigid, frigid frozen day in Soldier Field that day. So we're thinking that these California boys ain't going to be able to handle this. They beat the shit out of the Bears. The final score was 28-3. to We never stood a chance uh, against the Niners. They go to the Super Bowl and... Sam Weish and the Bengals, who had kind of like captured the country's imagination with, uh, you know, with Icky Woods and the Icky Shuffle and uh, and all that kind of stuff. That that was the first year that I remember um, the their stadium, Riverfront Stadium, being the 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 um, uh, the jungle. That's where that came from, and uh, it was just it was a, it was a really exciting, fun year. Uh, for the Bengals, Sam Weiss, Boomer Esiason, Tim McGee, uh, you know, Anthony Munoz, one of my favorite football players of all time, uh, Anthony Munoz, um, and a lot of really great uh, football players on that team. And, you know, really kind of went out there and, and punched the 49ers in the mouth. And, uh, and it was a back and forth game. Uh, the one, uh, you know, there was a kickoff return for a touchdown where the Bengals took the lead 16 to took 16 to 13. They give the ball back to the 49ers with about three and a half minutes to go from like the, their own eight yard line. And Montana proceeds to march the 49ers downfield to score the game winning touchdown, throws a touchdown to, uh, to John Taylor. And what was crazy about that is that the drive all the way up to that point was all about Jerry Rice, Jerry Rice, Jerry Rice, Jerry Rice. He was our decoy on that play. Find Taylor down the seam for the touchdown. Um, 49ers win and what was really bittersweet about it was number one I didn't want the 49ers to win that game then the Bengals were you know looked like they had it and then the play before John Taylor scores that touchdown the safety whose name I'm not remembering right now dropped an interception could have won the game for him right then and there drops the interception very next play John Taylor scores a touchdown like 39 I remember that watching the NFL films and Sam Weiss walking around the sidelines like 30, 39 seconds away, 39 seconds away from, uh, from winning their Super Bowl. So 
So that was the first really great game uh, as far as just a completely awesome back-and-forth competitive Super Bowl that I ever got to watch because obviously the Bears smashed the Patriots uh, 21 and 22. The Giants and Redskins beat the Broncos. Um, the, the Giants 39 to 20, the Redskins 42 to 42 to 10, something crazy like that. Um, so 23 was the first time that the game wasn't over at halftime. It was a competitive back and forth matchup. 24, however, the biggest blowout Super Bowl history where the Niners return, beat the Broncos 55 to 10. Ugh, it was a massacre. But the following year, Super Bowl 25. Um, the Giants and the Bills, uh, back and forth battle in Tampa. Um, it was Jeff Hostetler playing for the injured Phil Sims uh, at quarterback. Um, there was the, the the first year that the Bills made the Super Bowl. They were the favorite uh, to win uh, this football game. That they were the best team, best offense uh, in the league. That K gun, uh, shotgun, no huddle uh, offense uh, that they ran. And going up against Parcells and Belichick, who was the defensive coordinator for the Giants, and you know Lawrence Taylor and Carl Banks and and all those great defensive players that they had uh, back then. OJ Anderson, the running back for the Giants, was the MVP uh, of the game. Uh, Mark Ingram makes that amazing play on third and thirteen, where he shook, he was dodging and, and ducking under tackles, and you know somebody's got him by the ankle, and he's reaching for the first down, and uh, manages to uh, manages to get it to extend the drive uh, in that football game. Just a crazy back and forth matchup that that came down to the final play, which was the famous wide right Scott Norwood field goal attempt from forty eight yards out. Uh, he misses it, and the underdog Giants win the Super Bowl 20-19. to 19. Still to this day, the closest margin of victory. I mean, it's as close as you're going to get is one point, but that's the only Super Bowl to be decided by a margin that close uh, with the Giants coming out uh, ahead. Unfortunately, the, the Bills would make it back three more times, but each game would be worse than the one before it, um, losing uh, the following year to the Redskins and then back-to-back Super Bowls to the Cowboys in 27 uh, and 28. You know, after losing by a sliver in their first attempt, they became the typical AFC sacrificial lamb in the three Super Bowls that followed uh, in the beatings from the Redskins and the Cowboys. Uh, 29 was another blowout. Uh, 30 was a bit closer. Cowboys and Steelers, 27 to 17 was the final score there, but not that great of a football game, especially with Neil O'Donnell throwing those interceptions. I mean, those gift interceptions to, to Larry Brown. And 31 was a decent back and forth between the Patriots and the Packers, but the Packers pretty much had that one uh, from the jump. 32, for a long time, was my favorite Super Bowl of all time. It was number one with a bullet, uh, that one. Number one, because... It was an underdog winning, and, and I've always been an underdog kind of guy. Um, it was the the Broncos beating the Packers uh, who were going for a back-to-back uh, titles. It was Elway, uh, you know, the old man Elway trying to, you know, finally getting back to Super Bowl for the first time since, I believe, Super Bowl Twenty Four. It had been a while since they'd been there, since they were savagely beaten by the 49ers in the biggest point margin Um uh, in, in Super Bowl history, still to this day, 45 points is the widest margin of victory in Super Bowl history. They get back there, only he's got a running game this time. He's got Terrell Davis uh, running the football. 
uh, behind him. Mike Shanahan is the head coach leading the way. And um, 31 to 24, this amazing back and forth comes down to fourth and six for the Packers. The Broncos hold and and they manage to win their Super Bowl. And the famous, you know, Pat Bolin uh, announcement while he's hoisting up the trophy. This one's for John Hans Elway, the Super Bowl trophy. It was their fourth trip to the Super Bowl after three very unsuccessful trips in the 80s. There they were finally. Here they were in, in the late 90s. It had been a while since they'd been there hoisting the trophy, and then they went, went ahead and had another blowout Super Bowl the week, the year after, 34-19 to 19 over the Falcons, Super Bowl 33, and Elway was the MVP of that game and got to walk off into the sunset after back-to-back uh, Super Bowls. But 32 was um, was the first AFC victory in a Super Bowl uh, since Super Bowl 18 with the Raiders, as I mentioned before. And um, going forward from there, it's kind of been a back-and-forth between the AFC and the NFC. Things have gotten far more competitive in the Super Bowl, and I think that was like the starting point there. Uh, 33, like I said, the Broncos blew out the Falcons, but 34, another one on my list, um, the Rams and the Titans. And the it was the, the game in Atlanta. Uh, going. It was for teams that had very good offenses. It was only 23-16 to 16 was the final score uh, in this game. But it was a game where the, where the Rams were up 16 to nothing, and then the Titans fought their way back to tie things up. And, you know, the, the like four minutes to go, something like that. Kurt Warner finds Isaac Bruce for uh, like a 60-yard touchdown pass or something like that to take the lead. The Titans have the football. They're marching their way down the field. Um, they're, you know, you go back and watch the NFL films uh, of that Super Bowl. Uh, second to last play of the game, uh, Steve McNair is running around like a chicken with his head cut off the defensive linemen and stuff are, are running after him he's breaking tackles getting away from guys and there are guys who like are so blown up just absolutely gassed from chasing after McNair on this drive they take themselves out of the game with like 14 seconds to go or something like that and McVermeil's on the sideline losing his mind because guys are taking themselves out of the game with with 14 seconds left or, or whatever it was like you're gonna take yourself out now you're gonna take yourself out now I can't believe this and um you know the the only Super Bowl that I can recollect that came down to to, to literally came down to the last play Scott Norwood was not the last play of that game in Super Bowl 25 this was the last play uh, of the game McNair I believe it was Kevin Dyson uh, who caught the pass going across the middle. And Robert Jones, the linebacker for the uh, the Rams, makes the tackle, and he's one yard short of the goal line to tie it and send it to uh, overtime. And the Rams, Kurt Warner, MVP of the game, win uh, their Super Bowl and, and hoist their uh, Lombardi. So it was um, an amazing, amazing game. I, was, I remember I was away at college at the time. Uh, me and my buddies were all watching this in in in, a, in, a, in one of my friend's dorm rooms. All of us just going crazy about how the back and forth was, and um, uh, how exciting the end of the uh, football game was. So, thirty five was the Ravens smashing the Giants and the the two thousand Ravens and getting their comparisons to the eighty five Bears. That's how dominant that defense was. Thirty six was the first Patriots Super Bowl. Another good game. Um, didn't quite make the list. For me, um, 38 was the 
or excuse me, 37 was the Bucks and the Raiders. That was another blowout. Uh, 38 and 39 were both Patriots victories over the Panthers and the um, Eagles. The final score will 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 tell you that the game was closer. Uh, they were not as you know they were okay. The Panthers game was a good one, but the Eagles game, even though the final score was was only like three points, twenty to seventeen or something, twenty four to twenty one actually uh, was that one. That wasn't that that game wasn't that close. The Patriots were up, and the Eagles scored a touchdown late to make it three points, but it wasn't that close uh, of a game. 40 was the Steelers and the Seahawks and 41. We all know how that one rates. And, you know, the, the thing that we can take away from Super Bowl 41 is that we have the moment that everyone, everyone remembers. Devin Hester taking the opening kick out, kickoff back for a touchdown um, is, the, is the, the snapshot of that football game. Everyone remembers that. Colts fans remember Kelvin Hayden taking the pick six back in the fourth quarter. That was pretty much the dagger uh, in the game uh, there. But football fans worldwide remember Hester taking that kick back for a touchdown uh, to start the football game and what a crazy moment that was and why would with the Colts and all of their struggles with the with special teams throughout the season, why would they kick to Hester? And then Dungey gets in his head you know what, we're not going to be afraid of this guy. We're going to kick to him, and that immediately backfired. But, you know, it was uh, it was fun for the first quarter. We were up 14-6 to six at the end of the first quarter, but uh, it kind of fell apart uh, after that. So, um, But 42 was actually one of the greater Super Bowls. Uh, the undefeated 18-0 and Patriots against the, I believe the Giants were 10-6, and uh, when they made it to the Super Bowl that year, uh, kind of um, you know worked their way through the playoffs and uh, get there and play the Patriots and uh, showing to themselves to be unafraid of this team that it literally ran through everybody to get to the Super Bowl and it was just it was a matter of you know just a matter of time before the coronation uh, was there. All the Patriots had to do was show up and they win this game. The Giants had a different opinion. Of course, you have the helmet catch, Eli to David Tyree, and then a few plays later, finding Plaxico wide open in the corner of the end zone for the game winner. And then Brady, on that last drive coming back, uh, I got a chance to watch this game again uh, the other day, and um, there was a throw that Brady threw to Randy Moss on that drive, and the giant defender literally got a finger on it and it was it was all that that pass needed to get it away from Randy Moss cuz otherwise Moss catches that ball and who knows what happens after that i mean i don't know if if that player would have been able to make the tackle or if the guy trailing cuz i think he threw it in a double coverage uh if i remember correctly i just remember that defender literally got like a fingernail on the ball and and tipped off the trajectory to the point where instead of hitting Moss in the hands, it hit him at the top of the fingers, and he wasn't able to come down with it. And, uh, you know, at the, at the very least, that catching that ball would have put them in field goal range if Moss just doesn't keep running down the sideline for a touchdown. So, I mean, it, it came that close to, to Brady and the Patriots giving themselves a chance to tie it. And um, otherwise... You know, the Giants who 
who were, were like probably one of the biggest underdogs in Super Bowl history, really bottled up this amazing, unbelievable, record-breaking Patriots uh, offense, held them to 14 points, sacked Brady like five times, were constantly in his face and harassing him uh, and everything, and, and you know, coming down to the wire, the crazy helmet catch, and, uh, you know, you know, Eli, the, the little brother, uh, winning the Super Bowl, beating uh, Tom Brady, which Peyton Manning had so much trouble doing uh, in the postseason to get to his Super Bowl against the Bears uh, and everything. And in the years before and after that, he struggled to beat Brady uh, to go forward. But um, that is one of the great ones. And then my favorite one of all time, number 43, the the Steelers and the Cardinals. And you know how I like to root for an underdog. The Cardinals were, I think, a four seed or something like that. Uh, that year um, played this crazy postseason. Larry Fitzgerald had this amazing, amazing postseason. Just absolutely crazy the things that he did. Um, and then capped it off in the Super Bowl with another amazing uh, performance. Um, uh, you know, it was a really great back and forth with the Steelers. A lot of really great plays in that game. Three that stand out. Right off the top of my head, number one would be James Harrison's interception right before halftime, which in my opinion, that's where the Steelers won the game because the Cardinals were at the one-yard line looking to go in and score just before halftime, looking to score a touchdown. Uh, I, I believe they were winning, and it would have extended their lead. Instead, Harrison takes that one back, and it's the Steelers who have the lead and the momentum going into the second half. It's you know a 99-yard uh, interception uh, return, and then the other play uh, for the Cardinals in the fourth quarter. Uh, Kurt Warner finds Larry Fitzgerald on a slant route. You know, Larry Larry uh, makes a right turn upfield, and it's him all by himself running up the field into the end zone to take the lead. Uh, twenty three to twenty, I believe, was the uh, was the score at the time uh, to take the lead. And it's just and it was like two and a half minutes to go. It's like, oh man. Are the Cardinals actually going to win this thing? Are they going to beat the Steelers here? And then, of course, Big Ben and Santonio Holmes had other plans, marched the football down the field, and then that throw to Holmes in the corner of the end zone for the game winner. And uh, the Cardinals couldn't answer uh, with the with the little bit of time that they had left, and the Steelers win 27-23. to That was the best Super Bowl I think I've ever seen. Uh, other ones, the, uh, the last really great Super Bowl, in my opinion, was Super Bowl Forty Nine between the, the Seahawks and the uh, Patriots. That was the, the Malcolm Butler interception at the one-yard line where it's like, why are you throwing the football? Why didn't you give it to Marshawn Lynch? You'd been a beast uh, the whole football game. Why are we throwing the ball here? Well, now you know why you shouldn't have. Hindsight in 2020 and, and all that kind of stuff. So 51 was good with the Falcons and the Patriots, but, you know, it was the Patriots winning another one. What's so great about that? Uh, 52 with the Patriots and the Eagles, just the back-and-forth scoring, you know, frenzy there. That one takes a hit because of the other utter lack of defense. It was like a 1,000 yards of total offense between those two teams. It's a fun game to watch, but it doesn't really make for a great game, uh, in my opinion. So, and then obviously, you know, my favorite Super Bowl, absolutely, 100%, Super Bowl 20, Patriots, Bears, Fridge scores a touchdown. Sweetness doesn't. That's the, the bittersweet thing about... That Super Bowl was Walter didn't get to score a touchdown in his only Super Bowl appearance. But, um, you know, watching the Bears hoist the Lombardi from bowling alley when I was seven because we had a Super Bowl party at our apartment 
And my mother got it in her head for some reason that uh, she needed to take the kids out of the house so the so the adults or the men or whatever could watch the game uh, in peace. And uh, we had a bunch of people in the house too. We had a big living room, and it was filled with people. And I wanted to watch the game. I did not want to go bowling. My mother made me go bowling and then spent the entire time at the bowling alley yelling at me to come take my turn because I was at the front desk watching the game. So she should have just left me at home with my dad. I'd have been content, but nope, I had to go bowling with her and the rest of the kids. So, but uh, the Bears won, and uh, that sadly was the last time they won 36 years ago. So hopefully Ryan Poles, Maddie Rufloos can get us back someplace before my hair goes completely gray and, uh, you know, see if we can't hoist a Lombardi one more time before they put me in the ground someday. So anyway, that's going to do it for news and notes. I'm going to do it for my favorite Super Bowls. Take a quick break, give air to our sponsor, and then we'll come back. Keys to the game. What's it going to take for one of these teams to hoist the Lombardi Sunday night? <laughs> this episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by Sports Drink. Your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and to hate your favorite team. A rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or in social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in Sports Drink. Spelled like Sports Drink, but without the vowels. So S P R T S D R N K. All we ask is that you close the door behind you. We're trying not to let out the funk. <laughs> Keys to the game for Super Bowl 56 tomorrow in SoFi Stadium. I keep wanting to say Soldier Field. Old habit. Old, old habit. Rams and Bengals. And uh, like I said, it was an amazing postseason uh, for these for both of these teams. Um, you know, the, the, the Bengals finally getting over that playoff curse, if you will, and getting that, er, that win in the wild card round over the uh, Raiders, then going to Tennessee against the number one seed in the AFC and surviving nine sacks. The Titans sacked Joe Burrow nine times, but it wasn't enough uh, for them to win the football game. Burrow just willed the uh, the Bengals to victory there, and uh, you know their kicker putting it through the uprights um, at the final gun to to win the game and send them to the AFC Championship game. Then they go on the road to Kansas City and spot the Chargers the Chargers spot the Chiefs a 21 to 10 halftime lead who are winning 21 to 3 at one point and you know I can say with a clear conscience a buddy of mine and I were texting each other while we were watching the game and after the Chiefs scored a touchdown to go up 21 to 3 his text to me was ball game that's it it's over 21 to 3 the Chiefs have had the ball three times. They scored three touchdowns. And my response to him, hand to God, was if the Bengals don't score a touchdown on this next drive, I'll jump on that bandwagon with you. If they score a touchdown, it's not over yet. And the, the Bengals marched right down the field, scored their first touchdown of the game, made it 21-10. to 10. Now the Chiefs marched down again, get down to the one-yard line, five seconds to go in the half, They go for it on fourth down instead of taking the points or running the football. Mahomes throws a pass, I think out to Hill, and it was Eli Apple that makes a tackle at the one-yard line, stopped him from scoring. The Chiefs come away with nothing on that drive. But it would have been four scores on four drives in the first half for the Chiefs. 
The Bengals finally shut him down and then shut him down for the rest of the game. The, the Chiefs scored three points, and those three points didn't come until the last drive of the game when they absolutely had to have it and send it to overtime to make it 24-24. to But the second half belonged to the Bengals. They tied it up and then took the lead, and it was the Chiefs that came back to tie it up and send it to overtime for the second week in a row because the Chiefs just got done going back and forth in overtime or back and forth to get to overtime against the Bills the week before. And uh, the Bengals were just were just too much. Mahomes throws an interception on their opening drive, and then the Bengals take it, kick another field goal, send Cincy to the Super Bowl. The Rams, they uh, were at home, and they smashed the Cardinals to bits. Uh, if I thought anyone was going to lose in the first round, uh, if there was going to be an upset in the first round, I really thought it was going to be the um, – the Cardinals beating the Rams because the Cardinals were 8-1 and one on the road uh, during the regular season. They were terrible at home. They were like, th- you know, 3-5 three and three and five or something like that at home. It was really, really bad of uh, the home schedule for the, uh, for the Cardinals. They'd beaten the Rams handily in week four earlier. And granted, it's a long time between week four and basically week 19 in the first round of the wild card. But I just felt like the, the Cardinals played so much better on the road than they did at home, and they had beaten the Rams in Los Angeles before, but you know the the Rams had beaten them about four weeks earlier uh, in Arizona and absolutely smashed the Cardinals to pieces uh, in that wild card game. It was thirty four to eleven was the final score, and it wasn't that close. It really wasn't. So then they go to Tampa and really started taking Tampa Bay to the woodshed. You know, like I th- think you mentioned to or I, I mentioned to Jake um, when we we're doing the the preview yesterday that um, I fell asleep during this game. And apparently I fell asleep and missed all the good stuff. I missed all of the the turnovers and Brady's comeback and all that kind of stuff because I'm waking up the play before Cooper Cup is wide open down the middle of the field that set up the game-winning field goal. I had to go back and find the the game highlights on YouTube to find out what happened or to see what happened. Uh, and how we got back how we got from like 27 to 3 or 27 to 10 to 27-27, and and the Rams needing that desperation field goal at the end uh, to win. But they kick the field goal good as the clock strikes zero, send the Tampa Bay Buccaneers home. No defending world champions this year. We're going to have a new champion uh, with the Rams eliminating Tampa Bay and then meeting the 49ers in the NFC Championship game in Los Angeles, being back home on their own field, the site of the Super Bowl, and... Uh, playing against a team that had beaten them six times uh, in a row, including Week 18. And if the the Rams had beaten the 49ers Week 18, the Niners don't make the playoffs. And now the Niners are back in the NFC Championship game against them, could send them home uh, and make them regret not beating them in Week 18. But instead, Stafford and Aaron Donald, actually, more importantly, uh, they have a 2017 to, or 20 to 17 lead. And uh, Donald, you know, gets into the backfield like he always does, gets after Garoppolo, is pulling and scratching to pull him down. Garoppolo, in desperation, tries to get rid of the football instead of just taking the sack, and it ends up getting picked off, and the Rams sit on it from there. And they um, are playing on their home field in the Super Bowl uh, tomorrow night. So here we are. What's it going to take for these teams uh, to win the games? I got three keys for each one. The first one for Cincinnati, just ride the wave. 
You know, like I mentioned uh, to both Jake and to Tyler or Kyler, Kyle, sorry. God, it's been a long day. Um, They're playing with house money. Nobody expected them to be here. Um, There are plenty of people who think they can win. That's I'm not saying that nobody thinks they can win this football game, but the fact that they're even here is amazing. And the, you know, a year two under Burrow year three under Zach Taylor after Six wins in two seasons under Zach Taylor. Now they're one win away from a Super Bowl uh, trophy. Their first visit back to the big game since Super Bowl twenty three. So it's been thirty three years uh, since they've been uh, in a Super Bowl. And um, you know they've got this young hot quarterback that that's obviously the, the you know they 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 like to say Matt Ryan is Matty Ice or or whatever. Now the Joe Cool uh, is the the nickname that's kind of uh, taking over. Now with Burrow staring down the barrel of nine sacks from the Titans and just brushing it off, not getting not getting panicky in the pocket or letting it affect how he's playing his game, just going out there and doing what he does and and beating the the Titans and then going on the road, getting behind to Mahomes and the Chiefs. No problem. I'll just march my guys down the field in the second half and we'll win this game uh, and everything else. So I mean, it, it's just ride the wave. You're playing with house money. It's, you know, why not us kind of thing uh, for you. Mentally, that's how you need to go uh, into this game. Um, number two would be do not fall behind early. This is not, the, the Rams are not the team that you want to spot a 21 to 10 uh, or 21 to 3 lead early on uh, in the football game. Their defense is far better than Kansas City's is, was, or whatever will be. And that guy in the middle, uh, Aaron Donald, you know, he could be MVP of the game, you know, with, with the problems that, that Cincinnati has with their interior uh, offensive line. Aaron Donald's the last guy you want to see in the Super Bowl. Which leads me to my third uh, and final um, key, protect Joe Burrow. Now, we're not worried so much about getting Joe Burrow hurt or anything like that. It's more about you you won't survive another nine-sack performance the way you did uh, against the the Titans because the Titans were very limited offensively. You know, the, it was like King Henry running the football. That's about it. Trying to rely on Tannehill, making the, the big throws in that moment were, were not possible for the Titans. They're not going to be able to survive Aaron Donald getting four and a half sacks and, you know, Leonard Floyd and the rest of the bunch – uh, adding to that uh, as well. They won't survive that. So you got to protect Burrow at all costs so that he can find Higgins and Chase and Boyd and, and, and all the rest of those guys, uh, you know, Joe Mixon out of the backfield uh, and things like that. You got to protect Burrow to keep him upright so he can find it. It's not about, you know, protecting him from getting hurt. It's just about making sure that he can find those receivers down the field and make the throws that he needs to make for this offense uh, to succeed. So ride the wave. You're here. Nobody expected you to be here. A lot of people are betting against you. So just use that. Do not fall behind early because their offense, their defense is too good. You know, your offense is good enough, but their defense is way better than Kansas City's. They will get after you and then protect Joe Burrow. They do those three things. They've got a great shot to win the ball game uh, on Sunday. On the Rams side of things, speaking of Joe Burrow, get to Burrow with four. Blitzing him, 
not a good idea because you're leaving one of those highly dangerous offensive weapons one-on-one with somebody. And God forbid they win that matchup, you're in big trouble. Jamar Chase, uh, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, you get them out into the open, it's going to be a long day uh, for the uh, Rams. So get to Burrow with four. Just rush your front four guys. You'll get to the, get to the quarterback that way. Avoid the turnovers. As uh, you know, when we when we're talking to Kyle on on Thursday, you know, it's like if they turn the football over the way that they have in the post in the you know in the postseason, the the Bengals are going to jump all over that. Burrow really doesn't turn the football over. They're not a fumble happy team or, or anything uh, like that. So turnovers is probably a big key to the game for Cincinnati as well. Forcing those turnovers. Uh, on the Rams, so it would be an even bigger one for the Rams to avoid it. You know, Stafford is known to throw an interception or two uh, from time to time, and, you know, that's not something I think they'll get away with uh, this this time around. The with You know, especially if you're given a short field uh, to Burrow, uh, Chase and Higgins and Boyd and Mixon and all those guys, it, it's not going to be uh, a good day for you uh, if you allow that to happen. And then finally, just play your game. You're at home. You're in familiar surroundings, even though technically you're the visiting team in the Super Bowl because it's an even-numbered Super Bowl and the NFC team is the the away team uh, on even-numbered Super Bowls. Um, you're in your house. This is your place. You, you, you fought your way to be in this spot. Play your game. Do your thing. You have the better team. You do have the better team. Is it, uh, you know, will, you, will you step up and make it happen? You got to play your game uh, in order to do that. N- never mind all the noise on the outside. Never mind the the outside pressure. Uh, like I mentioned to Jake, the 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 Rams are in a lose lose situation with this game because if they win, they should have won because they're the better team. And if they don't, then you know shame on them, uh, kind of thing. They couldn't beat a second year quarterback, and uh, they couldn't stop this Cinderella team, and. Uh, and whatnot. So there's it's a lose-lose situation for the Rams because if they win, they were supposed to. And if they lose, then, nah, boy, that's embarrassing. Or, you know, Sean McVay's 0-2 in the big game, you know, that kind of thing. So we'll uh, we'll see how it all shakes out. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this game. It, it, it's it's um, even more so than last year with Brady and Mahomes and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. I think I'm looking forward to this because this is the first Super Bowl in, in years that doesn't have a Tom Brady element uh, to it uh, or, or whatnot. There's no Brady. There's no Rodgers. There's no uh, or anything like that. It's, um, you know, a guy that's that probably deserved to be here for a long time but couldn't because he wasn't surrounded by the, the, the you know, the best team uh, to get him there. And then you have this young up-and-comer who's looking to put his stamp on this league to be the next Tom Brady, God forbid, that, uh, you know, I'm going to go ahead and win the Super Bowl year number two, just like Brady did. And then, uh, you know, we'll see how many more times I can get the Bengals back here before I hang it up 15 years from now or, or whatever. So, um, you know, you have this this team that doesn't that, – that won't stop, this team that keeps fighting uh, in the Bengals despite some of the worst circumstances, nine sacks and, you know, being on the road, uh, being an arrowhead, spotting the – one of the best quarterbacks in the league, a 21 to three lead and coming back and beating him uh, and all that kind of stuff. The Bengals have faced the firing squad and they've made it here uh, to the Super Bowl. They deserve this spot 100%. And so do the Rams. 
The Rams deserve to be here as well. On paper, they were an amazing football team. They were my favorite to go to and win the Super Bowl at the start uh, of the season. And and here we are. Uh, they made it. They uh, brought it to fruition. And they're 60 minutes away from realizing their destiny. So it's uh, it's it should be an exciting game. I can't wait to see how it all turns out. And uh, come back next week where I will either have Tyler, Kyle, Jesus Christ, what the hell is wrong with me? Kyle Phelps from Battle of Ohio or Jake Ellenbogen from the Downtown Rams podcast. So the winner of the Super Bowl will be back next week to help review the football game. I will do knee-jerk reactions for the game and let my guest hear what I had to say between quarters to see how the progress of the football game was going uh, and everything. So come back for that, and we'll finally put a bow on the 2021 season once and for all when we talk about Super Bowl 56. So come on back and uh, for that. So it should be probably Tuesday at the latest. And, uh, yeah, definitely Tuesday. And um, that should do it. And uh, so come on back Tuesday for the Super Bowl review. And until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Bears Talk Underground. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.